Hello and welcome to Shoulder Charge, way back after a week off. On this week's edition, Saints Dispatcher leads, but should Richard Agar get the gig full time? Perhaps more importantly, does he want the job? There's relegation discussion, there's Wigan chat, and you start for 10. Toronto Wolfpack have stopped broadcasting live games. Is the Toronto expansion project destined for failure? It's an action-packed show this week, and it's all on Shoulder Charge. Now then, let's get stuck into last night's action. Another week, yet another win for St Helens. There was about seven first-teamers out last night, but that didn't stop them taking the two points, and they did it convincingly. But at our time, the picture looked considerably different. You know, Leeds came into the game on the back of two wins, scored a lot of points, conceded very little. So, you know, with the scores level at, at, at ten apiece at half-time, you'd have thought the game were maybe going to swing in Leeds' favour. And let's not forget, they had several tries ruled out, and some may say harshly, but they were ruled out. And Leeds, they forced it into a few hours, and I thought, you know, wow, Leeds have really turned a corner, but it wasn't to be because second half, they slipped right back into the road habits, which have put them right down at the bottom this year. Despite quite a large number of Saints players not playing, you know, it was still fairly experienced. So it weren't like they fielded a side like they did against London a few weeks back, you know, despite the fact they've got the Challenge Cup final next week. So all was well for Leeds going into that second half. But I think they might have left their effort back in the dressing room because Saints had two tries within minutes of the hoots sounding. For the first try in the second half, they made a mess of defending the Saints kick. It was Luke Briscoe and Harry Newman, I think, who both fundled it in trying to catch the ball or even force a goal line dropout. But Saints were first to that ball and they grounded it and it was a try. And then it was Regan Grace who he showed great strength and also vision as he offloaded it to Zeb Taylor despite two Leeds defenders pulling him to the ground. And then it was Kevin Nagama. He used his blistering pace and silky feet to sidestep defenders. And then he scored two nigh-on identical tries. So it was a bit of a capitulation from Leeds, to say the least. But it wasn't all bad for the Rhinos, you know. Credit goes to them because, you know... They didn't throw in the towel, to be honest. They did have it in them to score a few more towards the end. And they made the scoreline look better than the performance, really. So, credit for them for that. On a wider point for Leeds, they're pretty much safe now, aren't they? You know, despite the loss to Saints, which it's nothing to be ashamed of. Saints have beaten everybody this year, I think, except London. I, I, I'm not sure. They've, they've pretty much beat everyone anyway. So, you know, credit goes to Richard Agar for, you know, putting them safe. All but safe. Going into the game, they had four wins out of the last six, so they've really turned a corner recently. And those last two wins, 48-8 and 44-0, and those wins have done the points difference a world of good, so... They've got that advantage over the relegation rivals now. It's crucial considering it's probably going to go right down to the wire and maybe decided on points difference. And it's London who are bottom right now. 
And I think London will probably have to win three out of the last four games and Leeds have to lose all theirs to go bottom. So I think that's Leeds safe. That brings me on nicely to Richard Agar. I've said in the past, you know, the Rhinos and Kevin Seinfeld, they should hang fire and don't do any premature appointments. And credit where it's due, that's what they've done. And from Kevin Sinfield's point of view, he's done a bit of good recruitment as well, you know, bringing in Reese Martin and Robert Louis in particular. If we're looking at Leeds' farm under Richard Agar, it's also pretty good. It probably would have seen him sneak a spot in the top five had it been from the start of the season. He's got over a 50% win rate, so for me, he should get the job full time. You know, questions may remain over whether he actually wants a job though I personally have my doubts over whether he does want it but I think he should if he does want it he should get it because he's gone under the radar a bit you know perhaps because Leeds are only just getting out of the relegation scrap now but that's a testament to the competitiveness of the league and also they were in a bit of a mess prior to his arrival so it's taken some doing to get out of this relegation scrap, but they seem to have done it now, and they just need an extra win to probably mathematically ensure it. If he don't want the job, Richard Agar, Leeds shouldn't be looking any further than Danny Ward because he'd be a perfect fit, and let's not forget he's made over 100 appearances for them as a player too, and he's done great with London. What do you reckon? Staying with London... They're currently set at bottom. Survival's been made that bit more difficult after Leeds' recent form, which I've touched on just then. But, you know, the relegation scrap, it's far from it's far from finished. And London are facing Catalans this weekend. Talking of the Dragons, how awful were they against Leeds? 48-8, it were. And Leeds had the man sent off. It were really bizarre. I'm pretty sure that game were closer when... It was actually 13 v 13, which takes some doing, to be honest. You know, when somebody gets sent off, on a lot of occasions, the team with one last player, they usually rally round and make it difficult. And it's usually really hard for the team with the man advantage because the other players are putting in that extra 10% to make up for the loss of the teammate that's gone off. Which, you know, that's understandable. What isn't understandable, what you don't see often, what you don't see at all, to be honest, is when a player is sent off, the side with the 12 men go from strength to strength and tear apart the opposition with the extra man. In this case, the opposition is a playoff contender. Bizarre is the only word for it. In Catalans, of course, they've got form in the capitulation department, if you look at the Challenge Cup defence, that was equally horrendous. When they lose, they lose by loads. Just have a listen to this. The last games they lost by 48 points, 40 points, 31, 50, 30, 34, 51, 50. It goes on as well. There's quite a few more. But I won't bore you with it. So, you know, they've lost at least by 30 points in... The majority of their defeats this year, and there's a few 50s in there, plus 45 as well. What does that say about the side? To me, it says it's a side that's got an attitude problem. It tells me it's a side that gives up. 
it tells me it's a side that, put simply, just does not gel. In recent weeks, they've had to deal with crowd trouble at the stadium, they've had ill discipline on the field too, to say the least. If you look back to the game in Barcelona, when they dispatched a Wigan to a roaring crowd, to what is going on now, what two juxtaposing images they are. And I'm really not sure why it's happened, because, you know, when they're going well, they're quite good, they've got a good squad. But when they lose, and when they start conceding those points, they they can't stop it. it. It continues, and they ship so many. It's mad. But going back to this weekend's fixture, London, given everything that's been going on, and the capitulation, London have got a huge opportunity to pick up two points. They've already beaten by 30 this year, away from home. So when you take into the amount of points they do concede, you can only imagine the Broncos are going to pick up some points. The advantage the London side have is their attitude and desire. They never give up. They're always battling. They're going to win the desire battle. They're at home as well. And if you consider all those factors, will that get them over the line? I think it will. And I think that means the Dragons are going to miss out on the top five. And let's be honest, they don't really deserve it because a top five contending side should not be on a minus points difference. Moving on to London's relegation rivals, Hull KR, they face Wakefield. And I think they're the most out of form side in Super League at the moment. They're going to have to pull some out the back because they're dropping like a stone. Now we know David Feet is out for the season. They've brought in Morgan Asqueray and a couple of others. So they'll be hoping for a bit of a response to that and a win sooner rather than later. But their issue is they just don't score enough points. I don't think they scored more than 16 points for nearly seven weeks. So they're either going to have to alter their approach or really show up their defence and give nothing away. But it's easier said than done and... They showed some improvements last time out. When they narrowly lost out to Hull FC, they, I think they were losing 26 at the break and it finished up 16-26. So there was a comeback of sorts, but they give them too big of a mountain to climb, to be honest. And unfortunately for them, their opponents, Hull KR, they're improving too and also showing fight. Hull beat the top five contenders Castleford not so long ago by a single point. And they gave it a good go against Wigan last week. You know, they were level with them at at the halfway point. But the worry for the Robins is the way they lost that second half to Wigan. I think they lost it by 24 points to six. So they was certainly outclassed. But, you know, it was Wigan. That's to be expected. The Robins will have the home advantage and they've had a tough few fixtures recently and I think they've done better than most expected. So it's probably going to be another loss for Wakefield again, isn't it? And they've got to start picking up points because, you know, that drop zone is creeping up. Last but not least, Huddersfield are also in the scrap. They face Castleford. 
you know, Castleford, as I said, they recently succumbed to the relegation threatened sides by losing to Hull KR. So they'll be able to make sure it doesn't happen again in quick succession. And they're in a bit of good form going into the clash. Despite losing by a point to Hull KR, it's three wins out of four from them, I'm, f- I'm pretty sure. So for me, Castleford are the main challenges for Salford in the top five. But, you know, we de- we, we're discounting Catalans because of their awful points difference. Anyway, back onto Huddersfield. They're a youthful side. They've got homegrown talent in the 13. That's to be commended, but, you know, could the young, inexperienced element of the team actually cost them? They've not had a good past few weeks, but prior to that, they were picking up points. So it could go either way with the Giants, but as I say, Castleford really had to win to give themselves a shot at the top five. And I think that want and the fact they've simply got a better squad and better star performers, I think it'll be a Castleford victory. So who's actually going down, you ask? Well, I'm probably wrong. I usually am. But I can see. But I can see London winning at least two of their remaining fixtures. And that is a big statement, to be honest. But, you know... Who's to say they won't do it? I think Hull KR with Tony Smith, I think he'll steer them to safety. So for me, it's between Wakefield and Huddersfield. Out of those two, I'd go with Wakefield. But saying that, it probably will be London. Now then, looking towards the top of the Super League, you'll find Wigan Warriors. They've positioned themselves firmly in the top five, and in the remaining games of the season, they're aiming to finish second. They can go second tonight should they beat Warrington. Forgive me for using this cliche, but what a rollercoaster season they've had. I think at the start of June, but we're still asking the question, you know, when are Wigan going to kick on? So they've left it really late, and they've had their fair share of issues off the field, with the Sean Edwards debacle, the the drugs and drink driving offences. So it's been a bit of a polarising season for Wigan. But they're firmly in this top five race now. And with Hull FC and Warrington's not really exactly on top form in recent weeks, it does seem to be only a matter of time before Wigan are going to snatch that second place. And I think it's remarkable given the issue they had earlier on. I mean, they were always going to hit form at some point with the squad they've got. You know, they're the current grand final winners, for God's sake. But I did wonder a few times at the start of the season, you know, would there be challenges? Would there be challenges to Saints and whether Adrian Lamb was actually the man for the job? But I think they've proved that he is. And they can challenge Saints in a one-off game in the grand final. If you look at the form since June, they've won eight of the last nine games. I don't think Saints have as good a form as that either. So currently, I'd say they're the most informed side going into the playoffs. And that'll be crucial, especially when you consider that this side, they're the grand final winners. They deliver when it matters. So far this season, that's what they're doing. They've also got the advantage of a week off when Saints play Warrington next week in the Challenge Cup final. Despite the fact I think Saints are probably going to do it, in the grand final, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if Wigan spoil the party. And it's 
perhaps too early to start making predictions for the 2020 season, but looking at Wigan's recruitment, I'm sure you've seen it. They're, they're bringing in Jackson Hastings, probably Super League's Man of Steel this year, George Burgess from the NRL, Jake Bibby, Bevan French. Yeah, they're losing George Williams to the Canberra Raiders in the NRL, but isn't that an exciting team? And surely a grand final contending one. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself here. But yeah, Wigan, they're up there with Leeds for turnaround of the season for me. So, as I mentioned earlier, in the start, Toronto, you must have seen recently, you know, they've decided to cancel all the live TV games. There's currently no TV deal for Toronto. They've been paying it for themselves. I think it costs around 30000 again to stage it on Sky. The reasons for the cancellation, they've said it's to save money. And reading that, it rang alarm bells for me because it also emerged they're facing a lawsuit with a media group who produced the games over an unpaid $300,000 bill. I stress Toronto's majority owner David Argyle is confident it'll be resolved. But for Toronto it just doesn't look good. It raises questions over is the Toronto project destined for failure? Because they're shelling out a hell of a lot of money at the moment, paying for all the flights to Toronto for the other sides, and then they've got the two million salary cap, the thirty thousand pounds for the TV costs. I can't imagine there are many profits at the moment. And them suspending the live TV games, it don't bode well for them wanting a Canadian broadcaster involved. And if we look to France, be in, be in sports who do the Catalans games, they've pulled out. So the current climate isn't looking good. It's worth asking the question, will a broadcaster really be interested in a competition that is pretty much Toronto versus teams from the north of England? To an outsider looking in to a broadcaster, I think it looks a bit strange. You know, did Toronto really fit in? And yeah. Toronto have been very successful in bringing fans to the game. They get quite a lot of a lot of fans coming to to the Lamport Stadium. But is is a broadcaster a step too far? It's my understanding that Toronto are funded by investors, and back in December last year, the news was the salaries weren't paid on time. That were resolved through an investor pumping in an extra couple of million quid. But how long will these investors continue to keep funding this club before they see a return? And will they see a return if there's no broadcaster on side? And they're on the verge of Super League right now. If a broadcaster's not already expressing any strong interest in showing games in, in anticipation for the Super League, then I don't think they ever will. So, without a TV company on side, what does that mean for investment? What does that mean for the finances? What does that mean for the club going forward? I honestly don't know. These are questions for the Toronto owners. But for me, outside of looking in, doesn't look too rosy the future at the moment. And on that note, that's that for this week. Remember to do all the usual subscribing and sharing malarkey. And in the meantime, 
I'll be working on another episode, which you'll be able to listen to again next Friday. So see you then.